The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. as you have been informed, as most of you have been informed, it is my intention to focus on a series of presentations concerning the opening of Anahata Chakra, especially the opening of the Anahata Chakra in a mystical sense, in a divine-oriented sense. There are many forms and sub-forms of Anahata Chakra, some of them refer simply to sensuality, others refer simply to a certain lightness of being due to the predominance of the air element, and some of them are referring to the love of God, to the aspiration, to the Ishvara Pranidhana, to the great surrender and devotion, and those forms of Anahata are automatically related with the <coughs> transcending of one's ego. The ego can theoretically be transcended in many ways. The ego can be transcended theoretically as soon as our consciousness moves out of Svadhisthana and especially out of Manipura chakra where it is mostly in strength. Therefore, in some of the yoga courses, you learn about dealing with the uh, annihilation, annihilation of the ego, for example, through the arousing of Vishuddha Chakra, because even Vishuddha Chakra offers an alternative in the human consciousness, which is dissolving the ego, which is appearing as a counterpart to the ego. But among all the methods... If we take aside perhaps the very arousing of Sahasrara, which is the most radical solution, but the most inaccessible of all of them, else the arousing of Anahata Chakra in, the, in most mystical traditions has been considered to be the antipode, the antidote of this painful egoism in Manipura Chakra. It is as if each chakra continues the next chakra, the chakras, each chakra with the previous and the next, they are like a chain, and at the same time they have a connection and an opposition. It is a little bit the same with the astrological signs. You can always can find a connection between an astrological sign and the next, but at the same time an astrological sign and the next are also very opposed to each other. It is a little bit as the relationship between each um, of the chakras and the next is a little bit like the domino pieces. Exactly as the domino pieces have two ends, and then it fits with the next, but at the same time it is opposite to the previous one, because it is at the opposite end. In this way, Svadhisthana and Manipura, for example, they have some common points, because they are related with a certain passion, search for satisfaction, like the, co the concept of desire can be applied partly to Svadhisthana and partly to Manipura, but at the same time Svadhisthana and Manipura have something completely opposed to each other as being water and fire. 
cats and dogs in a certain way. In a very similar way, Anahata Chakra and Manipura Chakra, or better said Manipura Chakra and Anahata Chakra, they have something in common because they are light and they create this elevation of energy, this lightness, and there are many wonderful things common to them, and at the same time they have a part of them which is completely opposed to each other. While Manipura Chakra is the pole of selfishness, Anahata Chakra is the pole of selflessness. And that is why Manipura Chakra put in connection with Anahata Chakra, they create a beautiful couple, and at the same time they create a wonderful opposition which can lead to transcendence, to transcending the limitations of the ego. <coughs> that is why Anahata is in a certain way wonderful for transcending the ego, for confronting Manipura. It is a very, very good antidote to it. Moreover, Anahata has the great advantage that it is close enough. If I am saying you should surpass your ego with Ajna or with Sahasrara, that for many people that's a city in China. But Anahata is something which appears even in the astrological features. It is one of the four elements. It is something which is accessible. It is no, we are not talking about something out of proportion. Anahata is reachable. It is doable. And because of this, Anahata is actually giving us a wonderful solution from so many standpoints. And that is why, to make the long story short, in our attempt to diminish some of the ego inflation, uh, we are working mostly on Anahata for creating this antidote, for creating this antipode of selflessness as opposed to the selfishness of Manipura and this limitation which exists in the lower chakras, this ankylosing, this pettiness of spirit, if you want to put it like this. This, con this crossing between Manipura and Anahata is illustrated in the colors of the aura by the crossing from green to blue in yoga, which is therefore the turquoise, this mixture between the green of Manipura and the blue of Anahata. Therefore the color turquoise is illustrating some of these things, as some of you have already studied in our yoga about the subtle colors of the aura. And at the same time, some of you have been going through our third, fourth or more months of yoga. You know that there is something about the Thrid Chakra, the very chakra of the heart, which is located a bit lower than Anahata Chakra, and therefore, technically speaking, somewhere between Anahata and Manipura, although belonging more to Anahata than to Manipura. So it's like a seesaw which has tilted on the side of Anahata. Anahata has taken over. We are in the twilight zone, but more on the side of Anahata, this showing the transition, the success. And this being said, I, it is my firm intention to work on Anahata, and one of the things which makes it very, very necessary is that when I teach yoga in certain environments, I notice and uh, I must admit that in India this task was a little bit easier than it is here. I noticed that some people, some of you, 
through your own background, which means your childhood, your school, your education, your family, and all the rest, haven't been much in Anahata during their lives. We live in a society which oscillates between Svadhisthana and Manipura. Either you are a cruel, money-maker, tough leadership uh, and everything, or if not, you are a fuzzy Svadhisthana inclined to satisfy all your uh, little satisfactions, pleasures, immediate needs, and therefore belonging more to the jellyfish type of typology. And therefore, very often in the society in which we live, especially this consumer society, this capitalistic consumer society, Anahata Chakra is a chakra which is very difficult to develop. In some structures, in some societies, the patterns are not there. There are societies in which Anahata Chakra will be more powerful. A typical one, it's not the only one we find in European cultures as well, a few such patterns differing from nation to nation, from society to society, but a typical non-European one would of course be the Indian society. Living in India, living with Indians, seeing the way they do things, whatever, starting with that funny swinging of the head which they have when they say yes sir, and everything, this kind of body language, this kind of behaving, this kind, oh yes, it has many ridiculous aspects to it, but a part of it, a certain slice of it, corresponds to Anahata Chakra. And that's why in that environment people can get inspired. There have been many bhakti yogis in India, many mystics. There is an Anahata which is remanent at the level of the, of the rural societies, and therefore you can find traces of it. People, there are people among you also, who have been in touch with societies which have a specific level of Anahata, like in the countryside of Russia, which is deeply Christian Orthodox and the others, you can find some reminiscences of an Anahata, which of course are not the uh, Moscow dweller type of characteristics, but especially, again, among the so-called simple people, backward people, other societies throughout the world, they have reminiscences, like you find some of it in Italy, you find some of it in Greece, you find some of it in some countries of Eastern Europe, such as in rural Romania and others. That's why there would exist some cultures where you see people who are like this, where people who are like this are not losers, they are not weirdos, they are not eccentrics, they make part from a subcurrent of the respective society and therefore their typology can be followed. I am saying this because I have seen that sometimes some of you working on Anahata Chakra with very good sincerity sometimes get some arousing of Anahata Chakra and then it doesn't appear in your daily life. In a certain way it's like Anahata is there while you do yoga, two hours. And then when you get out on the street, you immediately move to another chakra, and even that energy seems to fall down. It's unusual. After it, you feel like eating something, or doing something, or like the energy won't stay there, because simply your brain, your lower aspects of mind, they don't have any behavioral patterns. Like if I would be on Anahata in my daily life, how would I really behave? I wouldn't know because nobody in my family, 
nobody in my school, nobody among my friends, nobody in my city behaves in Anahata. So how should I know? I simply don't have. We always copy things. I don't know if you realize at a certain level of yoga practice, you will surely realize that humanity is copying all the time, that we are borrowing things from the collective subconscious mind. The fact that like people behave always in typologies, stereotypical, predictable, very often, according to some patterns. You see in the real life, uh, a man tells I don't know what naughty thing to the woman, and the woman jumps to slap him over the face. Where did she get that from? Why should a woman slap over the face a man who happened to say something naughty? You took it from the Hollywood movies, isn't it? I've seen this scene at least in ten movies. It's a cultural cliché. It's a stereotypical thing that if a man gets too bold, a woman should slap him on the face or something. And sometimes, therefore, people don't think. They copy. We live a lot of daily reactions by things which we have seen in the family. Mother and father, of course, are very important, but not only. If you will be careful... You will see that you will catch yourselves doing gestures, modulating phrases, moving your body in ways which are every time when I moved from a society to another, I have noticed it on myself. When I'm interacting deeply with some of my pupils or some, I sometimes feel that I'm taking over some of their psychic components and therefore I'm borrowing some of their ways of moving the hand or doing some things which I can recognize because I watch myself and I can simply see it through awareness that, hey, two years ago I was not moving my hand like this. This is exactly the way this person moves the hand. It's like I took it over. We human beings, we always borrow from each other. That is why this is an advantage. It is a place which can work in your favor or in your disfavor. If we are polluted with this MTV miserable type of society, we borrow all this Jamaican uh, body language and so on, and basically we don't get much out of it. Humanity progresses by the fact that we enrich ourselves with the cultural and spiritual things of humanity. The fact that you just read the literature, the mere fact of reading Shakespeare or Balzac, enriches you because those people convey to you an inheritance of, of psychological things which comes from time, which is simply the, the, the very capacity of being human. If you don't get those things, you live in the jungle and you become a wolf. You borrow the behavior and the body language of the wolves, as we have discuss, discussed in yoga so often. And therefore, the fact that we borrow from humanity is a gift. We are not the first people who live on this planet. And fortunately, we are not the first spiritual people who live on this planet. There have been tons of spiritualists who have been digging their way through spirituality and kind of spearheads of spirituality, and they created already an, a heritage. We think thoughts which they thought and which they made possible. People like Buddha and Jesus and then all the plethora of spiritualists who came in their wake and others and others, they thought thoughts which they made possible for us. They had attitudes, attitudes of the body, attitudes of their emotions, which are imprinted in the collective subconscious mind. And some of them have been transmitted over centuries and centuries, and we can collect them. This is a treasure. Why should I create from scratch 
a new way of behaving on Anahata. Let's suppose I'm doing five days of work on Anahata and my Anahata feels amazing. I will be like a child learning to walk clumsy in the first days and it happens to many of you. You are on Anahata and you don't know to love too much, to love less, to give hugs to everybody, not to externalize it so much. To do this, not to do this, it's like a wobbling child that learns to walk. It's like an unfamiliar world and we don't really know what to do. And that's why in the moment when you have a model, in that moment it's so easy to pick up because if you would see in front of you Padre Pio or I don't know whom, Rumi, you would behave like them automatically. That's a little bit of the relationship, master-disciple, passing some of these things, passing some of these behavioral patterns whenever you find somebody with whom you resonate. And that is why I'm simply saying that, alas, for some of you, the good intention seems to be there, and I'm talking now from the experience of the previous years. It's an experience which has been hardened here, being in Thailand, where the native environment is not very much on Anahata, and uh, it has been therefore hardened, uh, because many of you coming are coming from families, societies, where Anahata is not daily bread, and you haven't seen really great souls on Anahata, if you would be coming from India, you would have seen again and again the movies with Mahatma Gandhi and his body language, or the movies with I don't know what kind of great mystic on Anahata, and in this way you'd be more inspired, but in our society, where most of us are coming from, such models do not exist properly, and then I notice that some of you are like small babies on Anahata, you sincerely work on Anahata, you sincerely get some results of Anahata, and then you are probing your way, like how should I be in my daily life? How should I live my life to really cultivate this Anahata, to really make it part of a, of a pattern, of a, of a daily routine somehow? That is why I'm, I'm, it is my intention to go a little bit into these things, because it's not about working on Anahata. I can, almost everybody in this room knows how to do pranayama on anahata chakra and to do cobra until they freak out or yoga asana or whatever you do. So energizing anahata is not a mystery for most of you. There is anybody in this room can practice eight hours on anahata tomorrow. The problem is that even when you practice eight hours on anahata, it's like sometimes it's like you pour water on top of the hill. The water never stays on top of the hill. It always runs somewhere else. It's like your anahata is okay while you work on it. But then, it's like it's not there. You are losing it very quickly. And this losing of it is because of the lack of some patterns, of some behavioral patterns. And that's why I want very much in this season to talk to you and to study with you these behavioral patterns, the psychology, the body language, the philosophy, the things which constitute anahata, because a simple observation, and that's something which we teach in our TTC, we are teaching to people that they can always get best the art of teaching and the things related with that, simply through an NLP process, which is called modeling. And modeling means you should copy, you should monkey somebody who has it, and then you will get it. Therefore, 
this modeling aspect uh, is very, very rewarding. I would like to, again, in case you haven't heard this one, I would like to tell you the arch experience and this. Anthony Robbins, who was one of the sacred cows of NLP in America, he got his first uh, fame when he convinced the American military about the efficiency of NLP in obtaining practical results. He did an experiment in which he managed to make elite sharpshooters, pistol sharpshooters, out of people who never touched a gun in three days. And the military, they had a program which was taking the cream of the pistol shooters from the army, so people who shot guns before, and they were trained with them, and they were good, and they were training them for three months, and after three months, 40% were becoming sharpshooters, were managing to pass the exam, after shooting a truckload of ammo, and working for month and month, and they were good already. How did Anthony Robbins make from people on the street, elite sharpshooters which passed the military examination? He simply copied all the gold medal Olympic champions in shooting from the world. He simply went to them, filmed them, recorded them, talked to them, and he simply asked people to do exactly what they did. If this guy, before shooting the gun, he was wiping his nose like this, you had to do exactly the same thing. You had to do like this, and then to take your gun and shoot. Like him, you simply had to monkey him like you were an actor. You had to copy the body language completely. And it worked over the top. It worked beyond any imagination. And in this way, Anthony Robbins reached his uh, great fame. And of course, he did many other brilliant things. <coughs> so what I'm trying to say here is that unfortunately, until now, because I have considered that you will somehow find your way, we have neglected some of the Anahata Chakra behavioral patterns. Like, non, nobody really tried that next week, let's all try to behave on Anahata. How do people on Anahata behave? Let me take at least one quality. I cannot do it all, but at least one quality. I have heard about Ramakrishna, who always, when he was in this situation, did like this and reacted like this. Me, next week, I'm going to be Ramakrishna number two. I'm just going to do the same thing to monkey Ramakrishna, to simply try to fall in the same pattern, like to follow up this Anahata, not only when you do yoga, but in the daily life. That automatically is related with the other initiative that we have in this school, that we should ask people, and some of your teachers might have informed you today already, it's uh, only I communicated it to the teachers only yesterday, so the rest in the school will hear it gradually, that we are asking to people to reevaluate their yama and niyama. It's the same thing. We teach about the moral and ethical enlightened person, and we teach it in the first month, and then we find out that in the tenth month of yoga, there are people who consider it okay to be attached. It's like, why did we speak about detachment anymore? It's like, exactly like some of you would be a killer or something, you know, you, it's like we spoke about Ahimsa and you never heard about Ahimsa, it's like somebody spoke to a wall, not to, a, to an auditorium, and it's the same with all the other things, we are talking about Brahmacharya and people are having serious problems with their continence still, we are talking about uh, Satyam and people are still not integrating in a field of truthfulness, we are talking about Santosha and people are not able to cultivate an elementary 
contentment, just to be content because I could, if, I, if that would be the theme of my lecture tonight, of my presentation, I could simply demonstrate to you that you have a million reasons to be grateful every day and you should hop from one foot to another and dance in circles and be happy for what God and life has given to you. And yet, how many of you are daily grateful at least three times per day to stop at some point and to say, God, thank you, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful I could kiss the earth right now, I don't know how to express it. This santosha, this permanent contentment, because there is always a reason to be. And we speak about it, and you, we look at pupils who are advanced in yoga, and they go with a grimace of discontentment on their face every day, and you can see it obviously. Then why on earth are we teaching contentment in yoga, if people keep on wrinkling their nose in discontentment all day long? And therefore, yes, surely, there are... Uh, how she's relapsing, there are, nobody's perfect, yes, people have difficult moments, they forget, but then when they remember, they immediately try to recultivate the spiritual values and the spiritual virtues. And it is for this reason that I'm going to approach the element of the heart, especially from a psychological, behavioral, body language, philosophical, way of thinking by simply first of all trying to give you lots of examples. Yes, I will remind it is easy for me theoretically to take uh, the legendary quote from the Bible and I brought it specially because I intended to refresh it to make it as a, a reintroduction to read the legendary, the archetypal thing in the Western culture of Paul about love in the Corinthians, in the letter to the Corinthians. But although many people would be able to draw a practical application, like, okay, this month or until next week when we meet again, I will try to apply at least this one characteristic in my life about what is written there. Like to transform it into a practice. If love manifests itself in this way, then let me develop this quality so I can make myself worthy of this divine descent of love. And in this way I can read theory, but I actually, as you will see in these presentations which I'll make, and it will not be very clear for three, four weeks until some of you will start really practicing and you'll get a bit crazy because you have to be a bit crazy. Jesus was a bit crazy. Rumi was a bit crazy. Anahata is a chakra which is a bit crazy for this world. You have to have a courage. Fortunately, as some people have said in the previous years, we live here in a kind of a soap bubble, in the meaning that this is a kind of protected environment. When you go back to your country, you suddenly face the big bad wolf, and it's a different type of world, and many people feel painfully this contrast, that there is another conflictual type of society and world, but here you can kind of take a holiday, because as long as you made sure that you have a house and some money for your food for the rest of the season, and you sorted out your visa problems, you can basically do anything you want. You can sit on the beach all day long, you can do eight hours of yoga, you can laugh, you can make love, you can do this, you can do that, and yes, you can practice crazy Anahata, and you can practice crazy Manipura, and crazy Sahasrara, and anything, because it's like, what would hold you back? That's why, of course, some people don't do that, 
because some of you are rigid and they don't dare to let go. But some of you who are more adventurous, they have this taste of, oh, let's experience something new. Let's play. It's exactly like I would tell to some of you that uh, I would like to make a movie about the Japanese samurai and I want you all to be actors in my movie and I would ask you please for the next three weeks start behaving like Japanese samurai so grunt, make funny animal noises stand in all kind of tough positions like this sit, eat, speak, do whatever like that it's like would be a school of actoring of actorship and I'm asking you like actors Prepare for your role on Manipura. Well, I'm asking you as actors in the game of life, prepare for your acting, for your movie on Anahata. We start making a movie on Anahata. Let's play a little bit Anahata on this island for a while, because you basically don't stand to lose anything. The worst which will happen will that some intrepid ties will probably cheat you of some money or something. You are going to pay too much for the taxi or some other funny things like this will happen, you being too much in Anahata, although even that is not entirely true. That is not reflecting exactly what Anahata is. And therefore, you don't really stand to lose anything. I think those are ideas, are ideal conditions for you to be a little bit elastic and adventurous, to simply do what an actor does. I'm often looking in a flabbergasted way to great actors, how many characters they play and sometimes how well they get into characters. The same actor is playing this year a character which is a very, very melancholic person and in the next season he plays another character which is a very sanguine person. And it's like it's the same actor. How, how on earth do they put themselves in the skin of so many actors? Actors play, artists, mystics, inspired people. I'm seeing a scene from a movie where somebody plays a Christian saint and he's crying with devotion. And you can see on the face that the man feels it. He's transfigured. For those 25 minutes while the filming was going on, the man was in the state. He actually found the body language. Yes, it's a pity that he did not manage to continue after the filming was over because this was done through Svadhisthana, and he simply assumed an artificial personality through Svadhisthana for a while. But that can be an extraordinary weapon. That's the power of imagination. That's the power of creative imagination, that your imagination creates something which you then can anchor and preserve. It is exactly like the actor who played Jesus in the famous movie, and who for months afterwards spent them in a monastery. He simply couldn't get out of a monastery anymore because he had been too much in that role. Not that he stayed there forever and ever, because slowly, slowly he relaxed in the daily consciousness. He was not a yogi, and he didn't realize that he had the great opportunity to stay there for the rest of his life and maybe go even deeper. That movie was like the best introduction to Anahata spirituality for him, which he ever got. Therefore, what I'm saying here is that we will try to work in this season in a slightly different way, not only yoga. Yoga is going to give you the techniques to energize the heart chakra. Every time you feel that you haven't got the fuel for it, work on anahata, because it means your anahata is drained of energy. But I want you at the same time to play a little bit with this 
game of actorship to simply borrow some of these things to decide upon some of them and behave in that way it is also for this reason that I'm going to bring to you uh, in connection to this series of conferences and it is my plan to do that on Saturday evenings whenever possible because in the other evenings this school has various activities we have other conferences and then uh, Friday, by the way, on Fridays, we have decided that in this season we'll have alternatively Anahata meditation with Bhajan Kirtan. Both of them are made specially for this season for Anahata. And the more you'll go into those, the more minutes will give yourselves of Anahata and the behavior on Anahata and also of reloading your Anahata with energy. So Saturday being the only evening where nothing has been fixed, I'm trying to see if we can make a series of movies here in Bovi, only for you, the advanced, the more advanced pupils of the school, so that a series of movies which will exclusively be on Anahata, either actors that play a part on Anahata very well, or documentaries which show to us people on Anahata, so that we can see the way they hold their hands, the way they hold their head, the way they breathe, the way their language is, the way everything, the way they express different things. And when it rings a bell, then you should try experimentally for a week or two to copy that, to behave like that. As if you were practicing for a school of actorship to see how your psychology and all the things change. Again, I'm saying it's important for you to identify those patterns. That is why, as soon as I finish reading this, and I don't intend to make it too long tonight, it's a warming up tonight, I intend to read a few uh, descriptions, a few stories with Anahata core, uh, from one of my preferred sources, the, one of the Patericons of the Fathers of the Desert, more specifically the Fathers of Sinai, um, and to see, to introduce you slowly, slowly, today a little bit and next time even more, into a bit of a magic world. Because the more you read, the more you discover that these people who build up Anahata circles, Anahata worlds, they are living like in a world of their own. And the rules of the game, the behavior, their values were very, very different and they were able, therefore, to elevate their consciousness and to maintain their lives at a level which is outstanding. And we as a yoga school are trying to do the same thing at this point so that you can confront a little bit this lack of expression on Anahata. First, let us get inspired by the fundamental quote from Paul, the Apostle of Christ, in the letter to the Corinthians where he describes so many uh, wonderful things of love, not only that he prizes, he praises love supremely, as uh, it, the text says it clear, but at the same time, somewhere in between the lines almost, but through the text, he actually describes characteristics of Anahata. If you manage to pick just one of those characteristics of Anahata and simply cultivate it stubbornly for a month, it will start giving results. Remember that everything which you start cultivating in your being for approximately six weeks starts becoming fixed in your etheric body and it becomes a sort of a second nature. 
any habit ends by becoming second nature if that habit is maintained for a long time enough. That is why it would be important that you should copy, learn some of those habits. It can be that in the society where you come from, you suddenly will realize, oh, those people do like this. Like you will identify that you actually did see there is somebody in your country or in your culture or in the subcultural environments where you have been through, somebody who actually does things like this and you never thought that it would be nice for you to do that kind of thing, to copy that kind of thing. Enough of that. I'm now going to read the introductory background. There are other fundamental texts which I want to bring for you. I also want to uh, bring, I, I will not bring only things from the Christian tradition because there is Anahata beautifully expressed in Sufism and in Hinduism and so many others. But I'm starting because especially the hardcore Christian mystics, they have been full on on Anahata Chakra and moreover this resonates so much with the foundations of the Western culture. Therefore it is touching very much the roots something in your deep, deep subconscious mind will react to those values because they are there, have been there for a long time and they have acted. The paragraph on love by Paul. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It, is al it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And this being said, I'm going to go with you to some of the incredible stories of uh, one of the branches of the Patericon. The Patericon reflects lives of the early Christian mystics, which actually vary from the 3rd century all the way to the 13th century, but mostly in the 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th century. And um, 
these have been simply the athletes of God, the full hardcore ones. And um, they have created a world of the heart. And some of their stories I have selected here through this Patericon, two classes of stories. Some of them are just stories which reflect the miraculous life, the divine life which they made possible through their love and faith. And it's not directly related to Anahata. It's more like a consequence. And some of them are um, the direct stories reflecting patterns on Anahata Chakra. It is my intention, slowly, slowly, these stories are, um, there is a much bigger Patericon, the famous Patericon, which is published uh, most often in the world, that is called in technical language the Egyptian Patericon, because it reflects some of the Egyptian mystics. This one is called the Sinai Patericon, because it reflects the special area of Sinai, uh, those of you who know it around the St. Catherine Monastery and all that area, which has once upon a time been a very, very fruitful area from the standpoint of Anahata Chakra mysticism. And um, it is a start. We could have started anywhere else. This is a bit of an abrupt start. Some of these stories are pretty abrupt, miraculous. You should remember that most of these stories are usually incontestable documents. They come from chronicles, from historical chronicles preserved in the monasteries of the time and collected by some of the people there. So none of them is credited with really being a legend. They are not presented as legends, but as real men and women who lived in that area and did those things. I need to say this because some of the stories are so incredible and so far out that it's exactly like we're talking about people from another planet. And uh, these stories are therefore not a book written by somebody, and that's why it's not, they are not coherent stories. It's simply bits and pieces, fragments, snipe snippets of stories and like this taken from the chronicles, which are simply meant to create an atmosphere, to put you in a certain atmosphere, like you always have to think, what kind of people those people were? What did they believe into? How could they behave like this? What was in their mind? What were their values? And I'm telling you this because I could read from any spiritual environment, but I'm reading from this one because this one is vastly based on Anahata Chakra and many of the things there are based on Anahata Chakra. It's true, you are going to find sternness from Manipura Chakra, you are going to find a lot of divine manifestations from higher chakras, Vishuddha, Ajna, especially Sahasrara, extensively, and therefore it's not only pure, pure Anahata, but I will try when I'm reading through them, some of the things I will just let them sow, they will just be stories, but when I will find parts, when I will read, because some of these stories are really a bit thin, like they say something and it's more like a flavor of something. And some of them illustrate typically some of the Anahata Chakra psychological things. And then when I reach to such paragraphs, I will point them to you. I will stop and make some comments. So I will point that this is typically coming from Anahata. 
and I will try to explain so that any one of you who reacts <coughs> to those can try to apply them in practice. And I'm talking about today and tomorrow and the next week and all these because nobody is too young in spirituality not to practice some anahata. You can try it today, you can try it tomorrow, you can try it for a month. It won't hurt you. It's true. Some of them are extreme, like in some of these environments, they really put their egos down and they practice extreme forms of surrender, extreme forms of selflessness, extreme forms of commitment, extreme forms of obedience, extreme forms of humbleness. But you can, in special circumstances, play a little bit with some of these. Try to see how some of these will work for you. Take it as a tapas, as a self-discipline, that you want to try this for two weeks or for one month or why not for six weeks, if six weeks is indeed such an important interval where some transformation can occur. Enough of these. Therefore, remember that I am selecting from it. The stories are not selected in any logical order. There are bits and pieces here and there. And I am selecting through them. Uh, I have already made a pre-selection of the ones which seem to me more significant from that standpoint. At a later stage of this series of lectures, I will also give you some of the miraculous stories which go more in that way. Here is such a bit of a story. There were two laymen, laymen brothers, brothers, blood brothers, like, from Constantinopolis, today's Istanbul, very pious and who were fasting a lot. So although they are not monks, they practiced lots of fasting. One of them coming in Rait, which is one of the monasteries in Sinai, you'll hear this name often, it's one of the main points there, gave up everything and became a monk. After a while, his layman brother came to write to visit his brother who was a monk. So, staying overnight, the layman brother sees his monk brother taking his meal at the ninth hour of the day, which means at 3 p.m. The classical, the Christians followed the Jewish numbering of the hours, in that time, the ninth hour of the day means nine hours after sunrise, which is around 3 p.m. So this guy was eating at 3 p.m. And becoming scandalized, tells to his brother, when you were a layman out there in the world, you never tasted the food before sunrise. Imagine, these guys, they were laymen living in Constantinopolis in the Byzantine society, and never, every day, they were in Ramadan. They never ate before sunrise. What the Muslims do in Ramadan, these guys were doing every day of their life. This was, and they were laymen. They did not pretend that they were anything special. So, uh, try to realize that there was a level of self-discipline among many people, which today is inimaginable. Today, not even Christian monks in monasteries fast every day until sunrise. And therefore, you can make the difference. So, his brother says, it's funny, when you are a layman, you are not eating before sunrise. And then his brother, the monk, told to him, it is true, brother, but when I was in the world, I was feeding myself through my own years, because the praise of other men 
And the fact that they were glorifying me was feeding me immeasurably and thus they were destroying the effort of my ascetic uh, practice. This is, if you realize, an aspect of humbleness. This man becoming a monk became less ascetic because he wanted to kill his pride. He simply preferred to kill his ascetics so that his pride should not boost because he said, when I was out there, I was eating only after sunset and everybody knew how special I was and people were saying, oh, Walter is really spiritual. And basically he said, I was getting praise from people and this was killing all my tapas. This was actually destroying my efforts. So he said, here, I'm eating at 3 o'clock. People say that I'm a glutton, like you say that I've turned into a glutton. And meanwhile, I'm cultivating something else. And that something else is that I'm not feeding myself anymore with the appreciation of other people. I don't need to be appreciated. This appreciation which I'm begging from other people that you should think that I'm good is actually nothing else but a feeding to the ego, ultimately. These people were very careful about such shades. They preferred to reduce their asceticism rather than be very ascetic and at the same time be puffed up with a cheap pride. The pride is much worse than your own asceticism. Remember, for them the pride was much, much worse than the fact that they were very disciplined or not. Here is an interesting mention. I mentioned it just only because of Laya Yoga and the world of the subtle sounds. One day by uh, having the feast of the Pentecost, which is this 50 days after Easter when the apostles got enlightened, this carnival day, he, having the feast of the Pentecost, there was a liturgy done exactly on the top of the Mount Sinai, and when the priest said the prayer, um, it's very difficult to translate in a coherent uh, English, this one, because it's from the old liturgic, and it says, uh, a song of glory for uh, glorifying God, singing and shouting with loud voice, which is a typical formula used in their prayer, all the mountains answered to that prayer with a frightening humming sound, with an echo which said, holy, 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 because that's the, what is written in that liturgic chant, which is actually taken from the Jewish mysticism. And this prolonged echo and humming lasted for approximately half an hour. But this humming, not everybody heard it, but only those who had the type of years about which Jesus said, let those who have years to listen hear. So here you see a wonderful twisting that they take a sentence from the Bible from Jesus and they actually define that there is an audition of the inner sounds. Not everybody heard it because you had to have a special type of years. That means basically you had to listen to hear the inaudible. You had to hear like we speak about the 
nadas. Here is another one which I have once mentioned in a meeting concerning the power of prayer. A certain old man came to Sinai, to Mount Sinai, and coming out of there, he met on his way a brother who, being very sad, was telling to the old man, we are in a big trouble, father, because it's not raining. And the old man said, why don't you pray and ask God in help? The brother told to him, we did prayers and we did even masses, services, liturgies, and it still doesn't rain. Then the old man said, surely you are not praying intensely enough. Would you like to see that it is so? Let us sit for prayer. And then he stretched his arms towards heaven and prayed, and immediately the rain started pouring. And the brother, seeing this, was frightened instantaneously and falling to the ground, bowed down to the old man. And the old man immediately ran away from there. You see, we don't even know the name of this old man. It says, a certain old man came to Sinai. This guy could stand up in a second and make rain. But we don't know his name. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he was coming from. We don't know what became of him. He didn't write books. He was not the abbot of monasteries. He didn't become the bishop. And actually when this man bowed down to him, he ran away and disappeared immediately. This is another element of this shyness of the heart. The heart is generating a certain shyness. The Anahata people consider that people who are very bold, this kind of bold face, this kind of shameless boldness, this kind of aggressive boldness is a typical proof of lack of Anahata. Even in India, when people are having a lot of Anahata, they are shy, they are defined as shy. Don't forget that the archetype for Anahata is the reindeer, the antelope. And the antelope is an animal which has soft velvet-like eyes and it is essentially shy. One of the most beautiful things about a deer is that it is shy. It's a very shy animal. It's a very timid animal. This shyness appears in the life of the people on Anahata. That is why in most of these types of manifestations there, they for example consider that all these sudden things are rude. Like for example, if you laugh madly. You know that there is this in most traditional churches, people are never laughing madly in the church. Because that's more like a rajasic thing. It's more like corresponding to the demonic temperament, not to the sattvic temperament. It's like something which is a bit extreme. The Anahata Chakra has this kind of very special shyness. When Lakshman, the brother of Rama, he was asked to go to Sri Lanka to recover Sita. He and Rama and Sita lived together in the forest for an impressive number of years. And then Sita got kidnapped by Ravana and Rama was on a mission to recover his kidnapped wife from Ravana the demon. And Lakshman was his right hand, was his blood brother, his small brother, and he sends him with a mission. Go and try to see if you can find out where Sita is held captive. And Lakshman is asking him a million dollar question. He says, how shall I recognize her? And Rama says, you mean you have been living with us in the forest, in a hut 
for three years and you can't recognize her? Are you crazy? And Lakshman says, the only thing which I have ever seen of her were the bangles around her ankles. He never raised his eyes more than the ankles. He was looking down. He never looked boldly in the eye like, oh, you are beautiful, I'd like to take you right now. That's not Anahata. This kind of boldness of the Western culture that you have to be a door-to-door salesman and you boldly have to go and push yourself and be loud and be... It's not Anahata. This loudness, this heavy thing that you have to go into a cafe and you speak the loudest in the whole cafe and you laugh the loudest. Everybody has to know that you are there, that you are filling the space all the time. That you are. This is not Anahata. Anahata is creating the deer-like shyness, a certain gentleness, a delicate behavior. Remember, this delicacy in the meaning of being delicate is from Anahata. In a certain way, the model of a woman, the famous Margareta of Faust, the famous Margareta of Goethe, she is a very discreet woman. She is seduced, she is abandoned, she goes to a monastery, she cries her heart out and she is bitter because her life was reduced to shambles and she keeps loving the Faust, the idiot, for all her life and you don't see her during the novel. Exception made in the beginning when she is seduced and the rest, she's not there. She's discreet. She's such a discreet presence. It's like she almost passes imperceptible. But in the end, she's the one that saves Faust from falling into hell. And Goethe concludes by his famous story, the eternal feminine always saves us, always gives us the salvation. It, and the eternal feminine doesn't do it in a loud way, in a boasting way. It is a very discreet and ungrateful job that this heart chakra is doing and that is why you better meditate also on this model. <coughs> Here is another fragment which shows a scene of persecution. Many of these Sinai people have been persecuted, especially at the times of the Muslim invasions. Many have been killed, but not only the Muslims as religious uh, terrorists in this way, but also the different robbers and thieves. And the same was happening in India and Tibet. There existed all kinds of terrible uh, robbers and dacoits and others who were even spiritual people had to suffer from their actions. Here is a story. It's a little bit longer because I'm translating directly from a Romanian edition of this text. I'm translating slowly. We went from there on and we have seen a clearing with green grass and uh, there were plants and trees. And again, there was, it's a, it's a copied from a chronicle, it's clipped from a chronicle. And then, again, the barbarians, I don't remember, I could find out who these barbarians were, but they were either one or the other of the groups which I mentioned. And again, the barbarians were running in that direction, and they were moving their legs very quickly. And going closer, we discovered a small hut. And in this 
hot, there was a young man whose courage and greatness of soul amazed even the barbarians. Even the barbarians got amazed by this young man because this young man neither accepted to show us where the hidden monasteries were in that area and thus save himself, even uh, he showed that uh, he would have accepted, he was told that if he would accepted this, he would have been saved. So they simply asked him, lead us to the different monasteries so that we can plunder them and we'll give you your life. So he did not accept to do this, neither did he come out of his house and he did not want to take off because they had this practice that they were staying in their hut for prayer. They were not going outside to do all kinds of silly things. Nor did he want to take off his clothes saying that uh, to first of all betray those who did not manage to hide is a treason and to submit himself to those who do violence is a lack of manliness and a lack of nobleness. Quote, because for the ascetics, he said, the greatness of our soul does not allow us to give up in front of fear, even if the threat of danger is not small at all, because the uh, a custom, a habit, an action, is becoming the way towards bigger and bigger things and if the fear learns how to master us once, then it commands to us to have contempt for even greater goods, and he, it teaches us how to betray even our faith when the fear from terrible things is finding the willpower falling apart because of cowardice. Because if now it would be easy for me, he said, to leave this self-mastery of reason and free will, uh, being afraid that in short time I will be dead, how then would, would I not desert in front of lack of faith when I will be uh, threatened with torture and torturers, being thus accustomed to prefer, being thus accustomed to prefer the lack of pain to my own interest? Because of this, if you are disappointed that you don't get what you wanted to get, do not be afraid to do what you want to do. Like do your worst, basically. Because I will not show you the places where the lovers of God live, although I know them. I will not come out through the door of my hut, of my cell, as you command to me, and neither will I take off my coat so that somebody should see my nakedness, as long as I will still have any conscience and free will, because not even I, until now, have not seen my naked body. I by myself. He hadn't seen himself naked ever. After death, my body being lacking conscience, let everyone do to it whatever they want, because there will not exist the reproach of a personal will which has been defeated, and... Uh, suffering of what is lacking sentiency and cannot oppose to it since the reason has left that body is involuntary. Since what is without soul is entirely without sentiency and without pain and what is without pain 
is obviously free of guilt in what it undergoes, being also lacking also the power of choosing between passion or freedom of passion. So, I will die inside my hut and dressed up as I have decided, and I will not do anything without will, even if I would be tortured like a slave. In the arena where I have fought my struggle, his room was his arena. He was the champion of God. That was where he was fighting his wars, the most bitter war, the war with himself, the war with the demonic things. In this arena in which I have struggled, let me be killed, and the tomb will be my own house, which has received the sweat of my efforts for so long time, and now it is going to receive the blood of my manliness. Speaking with such boldness, the rascals could not take it, they have felt completely mad, and turned on by the nobleness of his spirit, they killed him like rabid dogs, with many blows, so that they took his body apart, almost. Because each one of them, wanting to discharge their anger on him, did not take that it was enough to hit him with a knife, but also taking their swords, were discharging their fury with their own hand, covering him with wounds, and letting him rather dead than alive. This man with a soul so great, they left from there quarreling with each other angrily because this body which they had punished was not enough for them because they would have wanted a punishment even bigger than that. This long story, which I had difficulties in translating because it's in an impossible language in my own language here, is a story which shows exactly this kind of thing from the heart. You can see that there is a Manipura to Anahata because Anahata commands over Manipura. So the, man, the Anahata person is not weak. This man was innocent like the dove of peace. He was really innocent, but he was not weak at all. He had this thing, and he simply gave them the philosophy of it, and he said, there are three things which I'm not going to do. I'm not going to betray the others. I'm not going to get out of my home just because you, a gang of rascals, tells me to do so, because my home is the place where I pray. This is my arena. This is where I live my struggle, and I'm not going to take off my clothes because I consider it inappropriate in my own frame, in my own referential of values. And therefore, he explained it to them just like that, and this, of course, infuriated them. This other reaction is also very eloquent. This is exactly how the demons react. When you come with Anahata, the demons go berserk. That's why they went berserk with Jesus, and that's why they went berserk with so many mystics, because the demons of Manipura, they get completely maddened by Anahata, and that is something which will happen in you. In you, you'll have this battle. In you, there is a noble young man, and a gang of rascals as well. And when you will try to become the noble young man, the rascal gang will make a lot of fuss inside you as well, because this Duality, this tendency, is there. These are stories, what I'm reading right now, some of these wild stories, they are stories about all kinds of anonymous ones. Again, this young man is not known by the name. He's not preserved by the history, like this is Saint Sebastian or something like this. We don't even know who he was. Such great souls live 
and of course God knows them all in front of the cosmic consciousness such souls exist forever and that is what mattered for them and that's why some of the stories which I read right now and I don't intend to continue too much because I don't want to keep you much it's already more than I intended we started later in the future they will be between 8.30 to 10 o'clock but still 10 minutes today exceptionally 10.30 because we started so much later half an hour later and I want to have a good portion of stories for you so that you pick up at least one or two features characteristics one of the brothers always brothers are the younger ones and the elders are the experienced ones one of the brothers came to an elder who was living in Mount Sinai and asked him saying father tell me how should I pray because many times I have made God angry and then the old man told him my son when I pray I say like this God allow me to serve you exactly as I have served Satan when I didn't know about you and help me love you in the same way in which I love sin and worldliness before that end of prayer it is a mixture of an amazing thing because it is an awareness of the fact that if you would love God the way the Manchester United supporters love Manchester United you will do huge efforts for God and you would put everything in it there are football fans in England and in Italy and in all kind of crazy countries who would give their blood for their football teams and idols, who spend all their money and resources. Every Sunday they travel through the country to go and wave a flag on some foreign stadium. And they do all the wild things. What an amazing effort done for a cause which is ultimately hollow. The same effort if somebody would do to say, hey, every time when there is a course in yoga, I will be there, you know, exactly like a football fan goes there. I will not miss, even if I have, try to think, if I would organize yoga courses in Thailand, in every city in Thailand every week, would you follow me to come and listen to the yoga courses? Would you move from town to town as football fans move after their football team? Therefore, try to realize, sometimes this is a great lucidity. This old man realized that we are split and before we focus, we actually have all kind of things we love worldly and all kind of things which are ultimately hollow again we love them more and we strive to at least be able to give to God as much as we give to some things which are absolutely tried ultimately and therefore this is also a great humbleness because this old man never took out he was an old man you can be sure he was very experienced in prayer he never took out of his mind this that once upon a time I have served Satan, he says, in the meaning of Jesus, who defines Satan as almost being anything worldly. He says you cannot serve God and the demon, the devil, the money at the same time. He uses all kinds of images for the devil as simply being this obsession with only worldly things. To put the worldly higher than anything divine. And therefore, this man all the time in the subtext, in his prayer, he kept on blaming himself, reminding to himself, now it's time for me to pay for all those years where I have been. It's like I'm not going to pass easily over it and say, oh yeah, well, it doesn't matter. Yes, I have been like this and that. I have known people who followed the path of bhakti 
and this part of mysticism, and I have noticed exactly the same thing. Those people, on purpose, they did not forgive themselves for many years. Not because they couldn't, but because they found a great energy in this, because the more they felt guilty, the more hours were of prayer they made to pay for it, to kind of compensate for it. And that's why they, if they would have lost the guilt, they would have lost the motivation to pay. And that's why they were keeping that payment. Even when it was not there, they didn't have anything more to pay for it. It was a child's, a childish thing that now they really didn't have to pay for anything because they have been living a holy life for 20 years. They still kept on poking themselves because they simply wanted to keep themselves alert with this thing. Like, it's better that I should overdo it. It's better that I should do five times more efforts. One, because I'm keeping my humbleness, because I'm not bragging, oh yeah, I'm ready, I paid all my debt. Yes, I was a materialistic bastard and atheistic and this and that. And But it doesn't matter. God have forgiven me and I have been doing three years of yoga and I'm okay and this. No, they kept on doing it for 30 years just because it motivated them. It gave them the feeling that, hey, let me do five times over, not only my due, but more, five times over, because maybe I do it for some souls who are in purgatory or something. Maybe I'm doing it for somebody who needs it. Maybe I'm, let me do more over, if at least I am a conscious person and a person who would like to put their effort in this way. <clears throat> and again, he said, the same anonymous old man, there are two quotes, from him, this is another three-liner, and again he said, it is good, again he said, like talking about prayer, answering to a question about prayer, maybe to the same young man, or maybe to another one in another circumstance, we don't know, he said, it is good to stretch our hands up in the air, and to pray God, so that when coming out of our body, the soul should cross <laughs> undisturbed through all those who try to prevent it in the airs, in the atmosphere. This is a Christian uh, story from an old mystic that in the atmosphere, which means in technical terms in yoga, in the bardo, there are all these entities which bombard you and they prevent you from going straight for the enlightenment. And the Christians have seen it like some sort of, like you run the gauntlet, like you would be running a gauntlet and the bardo is the terrible period, and most people fail during this gauntlet because they are not uh, having enough grace and spiritual practice and good karma and all the rest. And therefore, he again, this old man said that by praying with uh, hands up, you get the kind of grace and the power that which will help you also when coming out of your body, which means in the moment of death, basically to compensate. And here is another longish story. I'm going to read this one last for tonight. Um, slowly, of course, because it's a difficult language. It is a story in which there is a lot of double entendre language. I will stop and tell you when it comes. And it is also, of course, of atmosphere, of attitude, of who was valuing what you'll see. I'll comment on those. 
close to this one, it's a story which continues, there was another brother who was coming from Eilat, from the, the area the city exists even today. One of these days, going to the Roman fort in the area, he tells to the, to the brother who was dealing with calligraphy. Some of these people had the karma yoga. Each one had the karma yoga. And some of them had the karma yoga of doing calligraphy, which means to copy sacred text, because in those days there was no printing, so they had to copy. And every day they were copying a line, ten lines, hundred lines, as much as they could reach. And then one of them had to go in town to the Roman fortress and tells to his brother, make love, brother. Make love for them didn't mean make love sexually. Make love was an expression which said make an act of love. Exert, manifest love. It's like somebody says, show me some love, give me some love. Make love, brother, and take care of the garden until I will return. Because he probably was going to be absent for a few days. And the brother tells to him, believe me, brother, as much as I can, I will take care of your garden. And the first man going, the second one tells into himself, into his mind, you miserable creature, that you still have fine time somehow in your life to take care of gardens. It's like instead of praying, you take care of gardens. It's the tragedy of doing external things instead of doing internal things. So he blamed himself. He said, you are a miserable guy, spiritually, that look, now you become a gardener. You are not here to be a gardener. You are here to do prayer 24-7, if possible, you know. So what is this gardening thing? And staying from morning till evening and from evening till morning to his canon, to his practice, to his routine, he never stopped with tears to sing and pray and all day long, so morning and night and everything, because it was the day of Sunday. So this guy simply didn't do anything in the garden. He just did his prayer all day and all night. And it says very beautifully, with, with tears. He had the famous gift of tears, which is essential for Anahata. If you pray and sing and have no tears, then you haven't reached a certain level of Anahata. These people knew very clearly when there were tears, it means you are doing good. Your anahata is shaking your foundation. It is reaching deep enough. So for them to have tears was a very good sign. Remember that both for those of you who already have them and for those of you who are a bit shy and think that your anahata will never get to the level of moving you to tears. Remember that a true anahata moves to tears. It moved Jesus. It moved Rumi. It moved Ramakrishna and hopefully it will move you one day if it hasn't moved you already. And those tears are not a proof of lack of manliness or lack of strength or lack of anything. Those tears are the most noble tears that a human being can shed in this universe because they are tears of love of God. They are tears of gratitude. Coming then, after a while, the first one to his neighbor... He found out that all kind of animals had destroyed his garden and then he tells to the to him may god have mercy on you brother because you didn't take care of the garden 
that's also a pattern of behavior. The second man who insisted, the first man who insisted for the garden, his garden, this guy promised him, I will take care of the garden. And he comes back and he finds it destroyed by moles or whatever they were. They're a bunch of uh, kind of squirrels. It's a special animal living in that area. And what does he do? That's a parenthesis. The only thing which he has to say is, may God have mercy on you because you didn't take care. He doesn't swear at him. He doesn't curse him. He doesn't get pissed off. He doesn't say, but you promised, but you this. None. They are at a level where such things... He simply says, it's like you didn't hold your word. I'm praying for you. you know? May God have mercy on you because you didn't do... It's like he doesn't get upset. He doesn't want revenge. He's not asking him to pay for it. or anything. This is not anahata. This man, that's the worst which he can do. He simply expresses his displeasure by simply saying, you know, I'm praying for your soul. May God have mercy on you. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com slash downloads.